0: Hello everyone and welcome to Histories of the Unexpected, the show where we demonstrate that everything, simply everything, has its own history, like toilets, gorillas and playgrounds.
1: And we will be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, who knew that the history of cannibalism, cannibalism is all about Tudor medicine?
0: or that the history of graffiti is all about Viking travel. The man sitting opposite me, who will help pilot us through this wonderful historical world, is one of the country's leading professors of history. It's James Daybell. Hello,
1: James. Hello, Sam. And the man sitting opposite me is the famous historical adventurer,
0: Dr. Sam Willis. Are you well, Sam? I'm very well, thank you very much. Excellent. Now, this is another episode in our special series of homeschooling series for kids. Um, Each episode, we're going to take a subject that I bet you don't think has a history. And we're going to prove that it does. And today, well, today's an absolute cracker. It's really good fun, this one. It's stench. Ooh, stinkiness. Smelliness. Oh, what? Yeah. So, brainstorm. Brainstorm at the
1: beginning. The history of bad smells across time, Sam.
0: Um, Well, yes, my initial thought was those um, extraordinary plague masks that people wore during the Black Death when they had to um, go out exploring in the streets, which were corpses were everywhere. And they wore these masks with a kind of um, something in the front to, to smell sweetly. So they were ward off the nasty stinkiness of the plague. Those long pointy noses. Well, for me, That's the one, yeah. for me,
1: it's the history of deodorant and body odour. And it's the invention of smelling good that we see in America in the 1950s. It's where the advertising companies working for companies such as Mum Deodorant or Listerine Mouthwash played on the anxieties of men and women about how they smelt and how their friends would view them. And there's one brilliant advert, an early advert for Listerine Mouthwash, which depicts a young woman with halitosis, so stinky breath, under the slogan, Always a bridesmaid, never the bride.
0: What, what meaning that her bad breath would stop her getting married? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's horrid. I also thought about prison ships. Now, these were extraordinary things. So during the the 18th and early 19th century when the British Empire was enormous and there were lots of battles being won at sea, the enemy ships were captured and a lot of them were brought home to British shore. They were anchored off places like Chatham and Plymouth and Portsmouth and then captured sailors and soldiers from battles on land and from battles at sea were put inside these ships which were turned into prisons. They took out all of the guns from the warships. They took off all of the masts, all of the sails and they crammed hundreds and hundreds of people into ships which they were just not built for that many people. And because there were so many um, of these poor people living together in such squalid conditions, it smelt absolutely appalling. And there were some extraordinary accounts of people visiting these ships almost being knocked over just by how horrific the smell was. Oh, that sounds
1: disgusting. I think also the other way of thinking about smells in the past is that they are very closely connected to how we remember the past. And one of the most extraordinarily appalling smells is the stench of charred or burning human flesh. It's probably one of the most memorable smells for people who lived in the past. People who survived the Holocaust, for example, remember the acrid smell of burning bodies, or people who fought in the Vietnam War remember the stink of napalm, so this liquid fire that was fired on the enemy. Absolutely
0: disgusting. One of the worst smells I've ever smelt was um, to do with food. So there is an entire history of smelly food as well. Um, I was in Iceland and they have this speciality where they take the head of a shark and then they bury it for a very, very long time. Sometimes they wee on it first oh. and then they bury it. Then they dig it up and remarkably they then eat it. Um, oh. So that's a tradition in Iceland and it made me think of what they did in Rome. They had this horrible fish sauce called garum which was made by the in, they, they, they got the intestines of fish and then they let them ferment in jars and then remarkably they then put it on their food. But I bet the smell was appalling. Delicious! Delicious! I, I bet <laughs> (laughs) it tasted, I bet it tasted incredible. Now,
1: uh, the medieval period was absolutely foul smelling. I mean, if you think about it, people didn't wash very regularly. They would have no more than one set of clothes. In the summer, they'd have been hot and sweaty all day long, overcrowding in the city. So it's absolutely stinky. The rivers would be used for sewerage. You'd have dead bodies floating around in them. You'd have offcuts from butchers. The streets were basically open sewers with barge, barber surgeons, the people who operated on people, their, the blood from the operations going into the, just straight into the streets. You'd then have tanneries, which are these places where you make leather, and leather during this period was very important, and it was made from animal skins. And it's a really gruesome and smelly procedure, which would basically see the tanner peeling back the layers of fat from the skin in order to produce leather and then to treat it. And there's all sorts of chemical compounds that are produced, so really, really smelly. And then you've got the toilets. Without sewers, the toilets would be emptied straight into the streets. So you can imagine how the medieval and 16th and 17th century and 18th century
0: world was awash a with stench. And that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about stench in relation to the Industrial Revolution and the rise of cities. So this happens from about 1750 onwards and by 1850 dramatic changes have happened. And what I wanted to do was read you a little bit from a writer, a guy called Charles Reed, who in 1850 he visited Sheffield. Now, Sheffield had become a very, very important city where they made steel. And this is his description of Sheffield from 1850. Black smoke blocks out the sun. Sparkling streams enter the town but soon get filthy, full of rubbish, clogged with dirt and bubbling with rotten, foul, smelling gases. This is perhaps the most hideous town in creation. How about that for a description? It's extraordinary, isn't it, James? Absolutely extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. Now, I want to do... Let's just go through these line by lines because it helps us understand what's happening here. He says that the black smoke blocks out the sun. That's interesting because it suggests there's a great deal of industrialisation going on in this city. Which once a, I'm looking actually at a picture of Sheffield around about 1750, so a hundred years before this little account, and it's a beautiful little village with lovely streams going past it, with a a, a church way up high on a hill overlooking just a few houses surrounded by green fields and trees and farmers working in their fields. It's a picture of a a rural paradise. But then by 1850, 100 years later, I've got another picture here of Sheffield and it's full of chimneys belching out black smoke and factories and brick buildings and terraced houses. A fundamentally different place. So we've got the black smoke from the chimneys blocking out the sun. He then says sparkling streams enter the town and those are the rivers visible in this older beautiful picture of Sheffield. Now those streams are crucial to understanding what's going on here because that is what what made Sheffield an industrial location. It was easy to get to on canals, on rivers, and also those rivers would have powered water wheels before the invention of steam engines. So it's a perfect example of a little village which was well located to turn into a big city. He then says that those sparkling streams soon get filthy, full of rubbish, clogged with dirt. And what's happening here is there's no proper sewage system. There's no one to take out the bins. There's no one to take out the rubbish. So what we're doing is we've got this sense of these beautiful streams being clogged with people just chucking out rubbish, chucking out dirty food. And they're also using the rivers, the streams to wash in and to take away all of their sewage. And then he says, "And bubbling with rotten, foul smelling gases. So what we've got is this idea of smell, and that's probably methane, which is produced with sewage. So it just absolutely stinks, this place. then he says at the end, this is perhaps the most hideous town in creation. And I'm thinking, actually, if you looked at all of the towns around England in 1850, there would have been many more like that. None more so, of course, than London, which was huge. And they had problems unlike anywhere else. In fact, to just get a sense of what's going on here, think about the change in population. In Sheffield in 1750, there were 12,000 people there. But by 1851, there were 150 thousand people, all living close together, lots of them in houses that were built back to back, lots of them without proper sewage systems at all. So that's what's happening here and that's how it really affected people's lives because disease grew in these squalid conditions, particularly cholera from dirty water. So there we go, James. That's why Sheffield stank. And then it improved um, over the next half a century or so when new sewers were built. They started off in London and when the scientists began to understand what was causing diseases like cholera and typhoid. Yes. And what's very interesting
1: here is that if you look at the early part of the 19th century, there's very little... Understanding about what caused these conditions and this disease. And many elite people, so the wealthy in society, thought that the poor themselves were to blame from these conditions in which they lived. They thought that they were feckless and idle. And it wasn't until about the 1840s when we see attitudes change. And I want to tell you about a man called Edwin Chadwick. Now, Edwin Chadwick was a civil servant who was employed by the Poor Law Commission and the Poor Law Commission is the institution that was set up by the government at the time to supervise the help given to the poor out of local taxes which were called rates at the time and he was asked by Parliament to investigate living conditions in Britain and what he did was he went out and he surveyed different areas of the country and he looked at what the average life expectancy of people from different social groups, social classes in different areas was. And the results were extraordinary. And they showed that people living in the countryside, so living in villages in hamlets, lived far longer than those people living in the towns. So he compared the rural county of Rutland with which had no large cities or towns with the new industrial cities of the north. And he published his results in 1842 in something called A Report on the Sanitary Conditions of the Labouring Poor. And the conclusion of this report was that much poverty and ill health was caused not by working class people being terrible, but by the terrible living conditions in which they found themselves, and not by their idleness. And his statistics showed just how unhealthy these industrial towns and cities that were part of the Industrial Revolution could be, even for wealthy people. So the average life expectancy of professional people living in Rutland was 52, compared with Leeds, which was 44, Liverpool was 35. If you go down and you have a look at labourers, the average life expectancy for labourers, so people working with their hands, in rural Rutland was 38. If they lived in Leeds, your average life expectancy was 19 years old, so barely reached adulthood. And in Liverpool, the average life expectancy for a labourer was 15 years old. And I just want to read you a short quote from his report. That the various forms of epidemic, endemic and other disease caused or aggravated or propagated chiefly among the labouring classes by atmospheric impurities produced by decomposing animal and vegetable substances by damp and filth and close and overcrowded dwellings prevail amongst the population in every part of the kingdom whether dwelling in separate houses, in rural villages, in small towns, in larger towns, as they have been found to prevail in the lowest districts of the metropolis, that such such disease, wherever it attacks, are frequent, is found always in connection with the physical circumstances above specified, and that where those circumstances are removed by drainage, proper cleansing, better ventilation and other means of diminishing atmospheric impurity, the frequency and intensity of such disease is abated, and where the removal of the noxious agencies appears to be complete, such disease was almost entirely disappears. In other words, the conclusions of his report are that in order to improve public health, firstly, you need to remove all rubbish and refuse, secondly, you need an effective sewage system and clean running water in every house, and thirdly, and this is very important, you need a qualified medical officer appointed in each area. Now, for for a few years, very little happened, and Chadwick's report was opposed by certain MPs who basically thought that this would cost far more But as Sam said earlier, it's in the second half of the 19th century that we see a real change, starting in 1848 with the Public Health Act, which set up the Board of Health. And this was the first time that the government really sought to issue laws around health. And each local authority appointed an Officer of Health and uh, who had to be a legally qualified medical practitioner. And they start improving sanitation in local areas. So the collection of rubbish, clean water
0: and the building of sewers. Such an important change, James, isn't it, from how we used to live to how we live today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Sam, to end off, I think we need a task that is fitting for this subject of stench.
1: And I've got a humdinger for you. It is how to make a stink bomb. So it's very, very easy to do. The kinds of things that Sam was describing earlier on about uh, dead shark's heads de- decomposing. I've got something that I think will be just as good. And all you need is an egg, some milk, vinegar, and a soft drinks can. Now, get hold of all your materials, and you need a container with a lid. Or you can have an empty an empty tin can that you then you then carefully cut up. So you need an egg, you need a tablespoon of milk and a tablespoon of vinegar. And you also need a Ziploc bag that you can keep everything in. Okay. What you do is you get your receptacle, so your container, um, and you cut the top off your your soft drinks can so that you've got a little container to put things in because then you can throw it away. And then what you do is you break your egg into the can. You carefully put it in there. You can use any kind of egg. You can even just throw the whole thing in. And then what you do is you add your milk and your vinegar to the container. Any kind of milk, any kind of vinegar. um, And it will really, really work. Then what you do is you put your container or your soft drink can with the stinky ingredients in inside an airtight bag and then you put it somewhere very warm. So an airing cupboard would be perfect or buy a radiator and you close up the bag, you leave it there in the warm place and you let it brew, and brew is the proper word here, for about a week. Um, If you go back to it earlier it won't be quite as intense But if you go back in a week, you undo the bag and be careful having a whiff, you will have created the most terrible rotten eggs and spoilt milk smell. And be very careful not to spill any of this on you. So there we
0: are. There's your task for this week. And it will make you think about all of those poor people who lived in Sheffield. So there we go, the history of stench. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do please check out historiesoftheunexpected.com and find us on social media and let's all make friends. And do get in touch if you've got any ideas. All right, guys, thanks a lot for listening. Bye. Bye, guys.